Hi, and welcome to Vista Community Church Online. My name is Brandy, and I'm one of the kids community directors here at Vista. Happy Mother's Day to all the women that give sacrificially, love endlessly, and touch lives every day. As you just saw, kids have this amazing way of showing us how special moms are. But it's not just kids. We're all influenced by moms. Today, I wanna say Happy Mother's Day to my mom. Mom, thank you so much for continuing to point your kids and your grandkids towards Christ. What a legacy. We love you. We hope to not just encourage moms today, but everyone that has tuned in to worship with us and hear an inspiring message. We're so glad you're here. Let's worship the Lord together. So as I prepared for today's message, whose uh, central character is the mother of Jesus, Mary, I got to admit, I was a little, a little overwhelmed, a little intimidated, uh, anxious, if I'm uh, quite candid. How do you do the mother of Jesus well? <laughs> how, do you, how do you represent her well? Particularly from my own point of view, I, I don't think I've even done my own mother uh, justice. I, I don't properly honor and show gratitude to her. She might argue with that because she's a good mom, but um, gosh, how do, how do you honor those that you love and respect the most? Let me, let me give it a try. Let me give it a try. This is my mom. I don't know exactly why this is my favorite photo. I could probably give it a shot, but I don't know. I just, I've always loved this, this photo of my mom and me, and that's my sister, Julie. My dad's probably taken a picture where Point Park in uh, Pittsburgh, I would imagine. Um, my mom demonstrated what it looks like to live a life that flows from a good heart. Uh, it wasn't mechanical. Uh, she wasn't exercising some great willpower. I'm sure that she had to depend on that at times, um, my mom, what made her such a good mom was what was good about her, what was kind about her, what was thoughtful about her, what was deferential about her was something that was very real, it was very deep, and it was very authentic. Uh, she was good through and through. She cared far more about others than she did about herself, and because of that, I owe her everything. I really do. I am who I am. Uh, I, I am where I am be, because of her. I was, a, I was a scary kid to raise. I was uh, risk-taking, adventurous, uh, who knows what's going to happen next kind of a kid. I was always just a, a breath away from pain or injury, uh, or I was actually in pain and injured in, in the emergency room. I think one time we counted seven summers in a row. Seven summers in a row. Uh, broken arms, nails through the feet, uh, numerous gashes to the head requiring stitches, severe dog bites, you name it, every summer to the emergency room. How do you raise a kid like that and not pull them in from themselves unless you understand there's something bigger going on? And she did. She let me be me. She helped me be me. She didn't restrict me in ways that might have been more natural, um, would have been according to fear and, and caution. Um, those things could have easily driven her, but I think whether directly or indirectly, she lived out the, the proverb that says, there is a way to train up your child, train up your child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. It's one thing to train a child in the way they should go, which usually means the way we think they should go. 
whether you're raising a biological kid or an adoptive kid or a, or a spiritual, you're a spiritual mentor, there's a way, you might think there's a way it should, but if you put the emphasis in the right place, train up a child in the way they should go means you have to understand more deeply how God's designed them, what his purposes are for them, what his plan is for them, and try not to get into the way of that. That is a, that is a good, good parent, a good mom, and my mom epitomized that. A lesser person would have acted in completely different ways, protected their own anxieties, their own peace of mind, but she didn't live that way. And so I've ended up where I have because, mom, you are awesome. She's always been committed to her kids being the best possible version of themselves that they could be. Um, a very special person. She wouldn't consider herself special, but that's part of what makes her special uh, to not just me, but pretty much everybody who's ever uh, met her. She's a good, good-hearted person committed to others best at her own expense. What more could you ask? Thank you, Mom, for being such a great mom. You are special, uh, beautiful through and through. Love you. Happy Mother's Day. And now on to the mother of Jesus. <laughs> you know, how, how, do you, how do you do right by the one who was the mother of the incarnate God? How do you do justice to the vessel of divine intervention? How do you honor and appropriately cover the one through whom God entered the world in the flesh? Like I said, I'm going to give it a shot. Hang with me here. Because if anyone can help us understand how to aim at great in God's kingdom, it's Mary. It is. It's Mary. If anybody can help us understand how to be godly, how uh, to be all that God would intend for us to be. It is this beautiful soul, Mary. Surprisingly, Mary knew she was special, but it's really, really important to understand why she knew she was special, how she came to understand that she was special. We discover her view of herself her posture with regard to herself from a song, a song that she wrote, a song that she wrote when she knew and after she knew and after she had given birth to the Savior of the world. Here it is in part. Luke chapter 1, later in the chapter. Mary writes, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Mary is aware that her soul aims at the greatness of God. Listen, she writes, my soul glorifies the Lord. She is, uh, uh, has an inner joy that is due to the actions of God. She writes, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. What could ultimately sound like arrogance, but is, has no shadow of arrogance, is that Mary is saying in essence that when you look at me, you see God. In me, you find a godly inner strength. But here's where it all pivots. Here's where the whole tone changes because she then clears the way for a better understanding of why she can say those things humbly. Three things she says in the midst of those verses. 
He has been mindful of me. From now on, people will view me as blessed. And third, the mighty one has done great things for me. Mary knows that she hasn't been special. She was just a servant girl. There was nothing notable about her. Nor is she going forward, nor is she going forward as special because of herself. Right? So she wasn't special before, and although she knows she's special going forward, it's not because of her. What is special is that God thought of her. That God has done great things for her. Catch this. If you hear nothing else today, hear this. Mary knows that she was chosen by God, not because she was special. Mary knows that she was chosen by God, not because she was special, but that she is special now because she was chosen by God. She knows that. She knows that she's special because she was chosen by God. That's a radically different view on our specialness. I would say without exception, everyone wants to be special in some way, right? Don't you want to be special in some way? The ways that you already recognize that you are special, aren't those things special to you? Sometimes specialty is the only thing that gets us through tough times. Some of the best parenting mentoring I ever got was from a, from a man whose children were go- grown when mine were little. And he said, hey, if possible, help your two boys develop some sort of expertise, some sort of specialty by the time they're in middle school. Because middle school is a brutal space. But if a person in middle school can say, yeah, you can tease me about that. You can leave me out of that. You can forget about me there. You know, but don't mess with me in this thing right here because this is my thing and I'm really good at it. That can get you through. And it probably got my kids through. Hey, kids, this is a great question for you. It's a great question. What is special about you? I want you to get your crayons and your pencil and your paper and write some words down or draw pictures about what is special about you. What is different about you? What kinds of things do you find fun? What things come easy for you? What do your mom, your dad, your grandparents, your special adults in your life say about you that is special or unique? And remember this, you you might imagine that Some of the things that you were going to write down, you might be tentative to write them down because you think that someone might tease you about that or you don't think it's so great. You know, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If it's unique about you, if it's special about you, that's a good thing. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. So spend a little time. Figure it out. Take some guesses. Write some things down. Draw some pictures. You know, we're, we're, all, we're all special. We're all special in certain ways. You have certain traits. You have certain skills. You have, you have certain passions. You, you have certain experiences that, that all make you very special, no matter who you are. But hear, hear me out on this. You will never be who God intends for you to be simply 
through your own individual specialties. You'll never, find your, you'll never find your highest calling from what exists simply within yourself. You will never be great in God's eternal plan simply because of your unique specialties. You, you won't find your deepest fulfillment by fully discovering and maximizing you. It doesn't work that way. To aim at great... To aim it great, again, from God's perspective, in God's economy, to be a truly good Christian, the specialness that must become most precious to you must mirror Mary's. It'll be the specialness of having been chosen by God without reason. Chosen by God without reason. Have you ever had the good fortune of being picked first by your peers to be on a team? Or, or have you had the misfortune of being picked last or not at all? Imagine this alternative. Imagine being picked first and then being told the reason was just because I wanted you. Nothing else. Just because of you. That's a radically different approach. And that's God. And that's you. What makes you truly great, what will most powerfully animate you for good in the world. Does, does that make sense? What makes you truly great and what will be the most compelling thing within you to be good in the world. What will bring you the greatest sense of peace will be, as Mary put it, the very thought, fact that God is mindful of you for no particular reason. The very fact that that doesn't compute. <laughs> we can't even get that through our Western minds that I could be valuable for no reason. That, that very fact that we can't get our head or our hands around that should affirm the fact that it's from God because what God does is entirely upside down from what we normally, how we normally approach life. Not everyone knows that God loves them. Not everyone knows that in Christ, God has laid down his own life to buy our eternal security. Not everyone hears the voice of God saying, I choose you. But you have. You know how I know you have? I just told you. I, you, you sit in the, in the blessed, privileged company of those who have heard the truth about God, that Jesus affirmed that he loves you irrespective of you. And in spite of you, he chooses you right now. You want to be great in God's economy? You want, to, you want to aim for great in God's world? You want to be good in, in Jesus' eyes? It's about apprehending that message and holding on to your identity as a chosen one for no reason. 
apprehending that your central identity and most animating characteristic doesn't come with, from within you. It comes from God's mindfulness and his action toward you. That's what Mary teaches us in her song. In the simplest terms, if or when someone asks you, what is so special about you? The answer is simply this. In Jesus, God has adopted me forever. And in no way is that a result of anything particularly special about me. That's the gospel message. What's special about me, what's special about every Christian, is just simply that God chose me. Paul puts it this way to a church in, in, in Ephesus way back in the day, middle of chapter two, goes like this. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works. No one should boast. You catch that? You've been, it's, it's grace that has saved you. Somebody once said, using the letters of grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. Right? It's nothing about us. You've been saved by grace through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by any work of yours. You shouldn't boast. The question is, what does it look like to live from that space? What does it look like to live out your life as a chosen one of God rather than one trying to be chosen one trying to be special, Mary shows us. Mary shows us. Mary knew deep within her soul that what was best for everyone was for them to intersect with God, to enjoy what she enjoyed, God's unearned mindfulness and his desire to do something for them. Mary knew from where her specialness originated and the joy that it brought. And so she lived her life as a very practical intercessor. An intercessor is, uh, is, is someone typically through prayer, but in any way, who intervenes on behalf of another. Mary knows the most special thing that she can do with her life is to facilitate special moments with Jesus for others' sake. And she does it with great confidence and faith, that he can do whatever is needed, and that if it is humbly received, lives will be deeply changed. We're going to look at a wedding uh, that the Apostle John covers in his gospel. It's in the second chapter, and it's in a place called Cana in Galilee. <laughs> Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. <laughs> and Jesus says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. And then his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, just for the record, when Jesus refers to himself as woman, it's not derogatory on, in any sense at all. It would be like, sir. It'd be perfectly legit to interpret this. Mom, why are you pulling me into this thing? It's not my time 
to deal with these kinds of things. But what we see is Mary leveraging very practical needs in and around her life to facilitate connections with others and Jesus. Can you see that? There's just a thing going on. And she goes to Jesus and pulls him into it and pulls everybody else into it and gives Jesus an opportunity to do and to be him so that others can find out who he is. This is what Mary's doing. She knows, as I've said, deep within her soul that what's best, here's what she knows what's best, isn't for her to work out some solution for the lack of wine. Isn't that what we typically do? There's a problem. What do we do? Well, we try to figure it out. We, this is my response. I got to try to fix this, right? She knows what's best for her is not to teach about moderation, right? All the wine is gone, okay? Something went awry here. Either a lot of people drank too much or too few people drank too much. Or, and this would be a great opportunity to teach everybody about moderation, she knows that's not best. She also knows it's not best to, in this moment, speak the truth in love to the host. Right? How could you let this happen? This is a big day. You messed up the logistics. Now, should we work to find that? Absolutely. Is there teaching to be done about moderation? Absolutely. Should we speak the truth in love? We should do all of those things, but she knows that's not what's best. She knows what people need more than wine, more than good teaching, more than a great servant, is that they need to interact with Jesus and receive whatever he offers. That's a great lesson, isn't it? Is this where you go first when there's a problem, when there's a practical situation? You're facing anything in your life right now that isn't working out quite right? Are we taking Mary's posture of interceding so that in those spaces, people might discover Jesus? If you want to be great in God's economy, we intercede. We facilitate connection between others and God. Those of you who are moms, you, you know how challenging this is how challenging it is to rest and be an intercessor. It feels like the opposite of, uh, of being an accomplisher. It feels like the opposite of getting things done on time right now. You know how hard it is when things are piling up to know how much to control and how much to let go, how much to do yourself, how much to demand. You know how much it easier, how much easier it is to overcome your insecurities and your sense of incompetence with just more action or, or more procrastination, right? You know how difficult it is to instead seek God, to rest, to decrease, and to intercede. You know how much harder it is to invite God in to control the situation, to do as he wants to make the demands that are necessary. You know how difficult that is. Mary's certainty about God's view of her frees her up 
from a compulsive life and instead charts a course for a special role of interceding so that others might experience God as she does. It is always, catch this, it is always better to do what is necessary to get people doing what Jesus says. Can I say that again? It is always better to do. You can do something, but it is always best to do what is necessary to get people doing what Jesus says. And here's the great thing. When we intercede and do what's necessary to include God, to to press God and those that are far from God together, we don't end up doing nothing. Right? This isn't about doing nothing. It's about doing the right things in the right order. And the first thing we should always do is intercede on behalf of others with God in hopes of facilitating that relationship. If we do that, we don't end up doing nothing. We end up doing the right stuff, the good stuff, the best stuff. Back to Ephesians 2. I only read the first few verses of this, this, this section of text. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. But listen, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. In Christ Jesus to do good works. That's the only place from which you can do the best good right works is in Jesus. Outside of Jesus, our work is compulsive. It's neurotic. It's anxiety-provoking. It's trying to fill something. It's trying to find something that can't be found. In Christ Jesus is the only place we can do good works. When we intercede and we draw Jesus and others and ourselves into a space and we do that work, the work that needs to get done, the good things that need to be done fall into line. It is not our good works. This is what Paul is saying. It's not our good works that make us special. But we, and when we apprehend our specialness in God's eyes, we are then free to do the good work rather than the selfish work that comes so naturally. What? Look at this. <laughs> this is great. Out of Mary's intercession, everyone is called to Obey Jesus. What happens? Mary obeys Jesus. He says, hey, this is not the right time. What are you doing? So mom moves away. Right? She doesn't make any further demands. The guests are compelled to obey Jesus. The last thing Mary does is just say, do whatever he says to do. She doesn't tell him what to do. He says, not now. She moves away and says, well, do whatever he says to do. So Mary's being obedient. All the guests are being called to obedience. (laughs) This is great. Jesus is obeying. He goes ahead and does what his mom asked him to do. Why? Because Jesus is under the authority of the father. And the father said, honor your mother. (laughs) Here's Jesus going, this isn't the right time. And he's caught in this catch-22. It's not his time, but God says honor his mother. So even Jesus is obeying in this space where intercession happened. It's phenomenal. When we rest in God's 
unearned specialness and do the work of intercession rather than the work of insecurity, everyone ends up doing the right work of God. That's what we learn from Mary, that she was chosen not because she was special. She was special because she was chosen. And her special contribution, which is our special contribution as specially chosen people, is to intercede so that others can enjoy that same thing. One other thing. Fast forward ahead to the crucifixion. Fast forward ahead to this moment, Jesus on the cross, and he looks down and he sees his mom. It's in John chapter 19. He, he stood, he looks and he sees his mother there. He sees his mother's sister there. He sees Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. There's like a gathering of Marys right there. He looks down and he sees, and when he sees his mother, and, and the disciple with whom he, whom he loved, John, which is the, the person who's writing, he says to her, Mom, here is your son. And to the disciple, John, he says, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple, John, took her into his home. Just before he dies and is gone from Mary's life altogether, physically, right? He speaks life to her. It's a really, really precious moment in the midst of a very traumatic moment. Jesus reminds Mary that even in his imminent absence, even after she has, in a sense, fulfilled her mandate, where, where she might think her specialness has come to an end, Jesus reminds her that she is still chosen and he does it by choosing her again to be the mother of John. There is still a need for her chosenness in his absence. So Jesus is saying to his mom, beyond your role as the instrument of my arrival, the vessel of my advent, and the role as my mother on earth, your purpose, value, specialness goes on in you now in new form as an adoptive mom, as a spiritual mother. I had a couple things to say as I wrap this up. One for Christian moms in particular, whether biological, adoptive, or spiritual in nature. Hear me, your greatest attribute is your rest in the rock, solid knowledge that you have been chosen by God to be his daughter. That is your most significant contribution as a Christian, is to rest in the rock-solid knowledge that you have been chosen by God to be his daughter. That you are a special person apart from what you do, even as a mom. Let me implore you to live there every day. Two things for all moms, irrespective of your 
faith journey. Again, whether a biological mom or an adoptive mom or a, a spiritual mom, I want you to consider how uncertainty regarding your specialness to God could be and might be and probably is at the root of the very legitimate internal struggles you endure as a mom. Like if you don't know that you are special to God, then you're putting that burden on someone else, right? If, you, if your children bear the burden of making you feel special, it is killing all of you. <laughs> it is not their job. And they are horrible at it, right? Kids are not that good at making mom feel honored and special and purposeful. And it's not their job. You cannot be the selfless person you need to be for them. You can't be the interceding mom that God has created you to be without first apprehending your chosenness in Christ and then living there every day. Any other approach to wreck your life? Second to all moms, irrespective of what kind of mom you may be, biological, adoptive, spiritual, you have been uniquely chosen for those children in your life. God has ordained you for them and them for you. And that's why you're there. You, you, what is, is what God has ordained. It, it, they're not for some other mom or some other style of mom that, that, that you might find compelling or heroic or better. It is not best for them. You are best for them. You, secure in Christ, are best for them. Live that way. And thank you. <laughs> thank you, Mom. Thank you, every mom, for your special role in this lifetime. And now to everybody. Everybody. All y'all. Let me ask you to model Mary an exemplary mother to all of us as one whose identity was rooted in being chosen by God and whose special outworking was to bring others into that same space. Let me challenge you to aim at great by finding your core specialness in nothing more and nothing less than God's mindfulness of you what he's done for you in Christ, and then helping others into that same space. Happy Mother's Day.